Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year. And each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Also, just a quick note that submissions for the Zibby Awards are open and will close on September 15th. Go to zibbyowens.com and you will find the Zibby Awards open submissions where we celebrate all the under-celebrated parts of a book, like the best spine, the best author's note, the best table of contents. And authors can nominate their own best publicists, best editors, and so on. There will be an in-person award ceremony in October in New York. You will not want to miss it. Go to zibbyowens.com. Brooke Sam is the author of May Cause Side Effects, a memoir. Brooke is a writer whose work on antidepressant withdrawal has appeared in the Washington Post, New York Post, Psychology Today, and more. She was also an award-winning chef and Food Network Chopped champion. Her debut memoir on antidepressant withdrawal, May Cause Side Effects, is available now and was profiled in the New York Post 
and also on my Instagram when she came over. And this was one of my first in-person podcasts in a while, and we had a blast. All right. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome, Brooke. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for coming to this in-person podcast, which hey. clearly I haven't done in a while as I was unprepared. I was so, somewhat ready, but anyway, my family's all over and it's a mess, so this is life. <laughs> I, I love it. It's very welcoming. <laughs> this is actually exactly where last night we watched your episode of Chopped, mm-hmm. which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And even though I know you won and they knew you won, I wasn't going to give it away. And so there was still somehow some suspense, which was which was wonderful. It's an entertaining 45 minutes of television. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't make it obvious or easy for myself or anyone else. You know, it was so funny because I had already read it. So I was like, you guys, she might look calm here, but she was so nervous. And then I was like straining to see. I'm like, do I see little like postules on her arms? Like, are they out in this scene? Oh, yeah. No, you couldn't. I don't know if you could have seen those, obviously. Well, okay. First of all, your book, May Cause Side Effects, was so good. So, so good. I loved it. You're a really great writer. I don't always say that, just so you know. You probably are aware. But your words, the way, like, your turn of phrase was so amazing that I kept, like, underlining and dog-earing and screenshotting and and all of it. Even the way, there was some way you described an x-ray machine, which stuck out to me. Something like a thousand, well, I'll find it later. Anyway, I love how you write, so. Thank you. You wrote that this took you a long time to write this book and that, like, mm-hmm. the act of writing it took a long time. Tell listeners a little bit about what your book is about and the backstory. Okay, so my book, it, it didn't start off as the book it became. So the book is now about my experience with antidepressant withdrawal, which the, sh- the long story short is I was a child, I was 15 when my father suddenly died, and I was put on antidepressants right away because it was 2001. That's what was starting to happen then. It's still what it happens a lot now. And, you know, I was, I was still a kid. I just was doing what the adults were telling me to do. And 15 years later, I was still on these same drugs. Nothing had been changed. They'd been really poorly monitored. And I just realized that maybe it was time to see what I was like as an unmedicated adult. So I saw a psychiatrist and started to get off them. And basically my whole life exploded. I entered into severe antidepressant withdrawal, which was not something I had even heard of. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if I was having a psychotic break or what was happening. And it took a long time to get out of that, almost a year. And in the meantime, I'd gotten this opportunity to travel around the world for a year. And so I decided I was gonna take that opportunity, you know, no matter what, thinking that my, you know, I'd be stable by the time it was time to go. Um, I wasn't. <laughs> and so I got on a one-way ticket to Malaysia and started traveling around the world, having still experiencing antidepressant withdrawal, trying to figure out who I was without these drugs, literally getting to know myself from the bottom up again. And that's effectively what the book is about. But it actually started because my literary agent at the time for a previous book, because I'd written a cookbook for my mm-hmm. bakery, had just kind of heard a little bit about my travels and said, oh, you should try writing a book and pitch it and see how it goes. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I'd been doing a long-term project of saying yes to things. And so I just said yes. And it started off more as a travel memoir and it was pretty bad. And eventually I realized the real story was about the antidepressant withdrawal. And so that took a long time to unpack and just start to write and figure out what had actually happened to me because I didn't actually really know until I kind of started writing and researching. And then you also did the piece on the grandmother's cooking along the way. Yes. So what happened was, is I'd been working in restaurants in New York and then I owned a bakery in New York City and we wrote a book for that. And so when I decided to start traveling, I was really burnt out. I hated the industry. I was 
just really resentful because mm-hmm. I had loved cooking so much and it really, the years just kind of beat it out of me. Yeah. Um, and so when I started traveling, I said, okay, I need to feel love in some capacity. And cooking was always such a source of love for me. And then it was gone. And that made me so sad that I said, okay, when I travel, I'm going to avoid restaurants as much as possible. At least the fancy ones. I've been in that world. I worked in that world. I don't need to do that. And so I said, I want to spend as much time with the people who are cooking everyday food as I can. And old recipes and old styles and so I decided to seek out grandmothers all around the world and I ended up getting invited into like 14 different homes in 10 countries four continents and I'd spend sometimes days with these women learning old recipes from all around the world and we just would talk sometimes through a translator sometimes with points because we didn't have one sometimes they spoke English and we could actually really chat but it it was a really interesting way of healing throughout this process of antidepressant withdrawal in a way that was very personal to me. And the two things were happening at once. I I didn't really write about it too much in this book because I think in a way it just really felt like it was for me. And so I kept it, I kept it a little out of there, but I've I've since written about it and uh, still in touch with some of my grandmothers over Instagram. It's great. (laughs) I love that. You could have made that into a book. I thought about that and then The story was really, once I got into it, the story was really about antidepressant withdrawal and how so many people go through this and don't know that they're going through this. And it wasn't even so much about, okay, I'm a patient, let me write a book for other patients. I wanted to write a book to help clinicians and prescribers understand what this experience is like and to help family members because all they see is someone who quite literally looks like they're having a psychotic break. And you need to know that that's not what it is in order to help support that person through. So I basically wrote the book I wish I'd had. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about cooking. <laughs> <laughs> you talked, though, at the end about if you had known better, you would have done a more hyperbolic tapering mm-hmm. versus the doctor you saw who, you know, it just made me think again, like, how is it possible that you can just go out and, like, find any doctor, they can do anything, they can have give you all the worst advice, and it's okay. Like, it, there are no checks and balances to the whole thing. I wish I had a better answer for you. I just don't. But yeah. I hear the story. I, I mean, I hear it, I've heard it hundreds of times at this point, starting to publicly talk about this. It's, I think there's a thousand reasons why this is happening. Everything from the broken healthcare system to you know, doctors only being able to take patients and get reimbursed for insurance if there's a diagnosis to not having enough tools to people wanting a quick fix to people like me who were medicated for a reason at a certain time and have never been guided on safe tapering or even given given an indication that getting off these drugs at some point would be possible. Mm -hmm. Like, I was just under the impression that, well, I was broken. I mean, I'm, you know... I was given the line about having a chemical imbalance and this will fix it. So especially when you're a child and you're told that you you imprint that yeah. onto your soul and that becomes part of who you are. And to start unraveling that means to unravel your entire identity and everything you've been told about your life. Not to mention that you were grieving. And I was grieving. I mean, that alone presents yes. as a mental illness. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it, literally. Yeah. I mean, the, sim- the, sim- the symptoms are identical. And now we have prolonged grief yes. disorder. So. Yes. Now it is a mental illness. Yes. I wish I had known that. Yeah. When everybody's like, you've been grieving too long. Yeah. Pick yourself up. I'm like, well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You started, though, from a place of on the outside looking totally together and mm-hmm. then revealing to us through the book that on the inside you were literally contemplating suicide mm-hmm. and all the numbers behind that. And what 
it would be like and if you would get a diagnosis maybe that would be good because that would just like be the end and you wouldn't have mm-hmm. to fight it which mm-hmm. was such a sad moment and then you would rebound and feel a little better and then you would go back to it and and yet you were still able to stay off these drugs do you mm-hmm. know like you came from a place of of I don't want to say desperation because you had a support system. Your mom is like amazing, and and you had Alan who was also amazing. And I'm like, oh God, I gotta call this guy Alan. <laughs> the scene where you were laughing on the phone when you were like, I'm in. I think you're in Malaysia. In a bathtub. Yeah, I'm a bathtub in Malaysia with like a man I've never seen before. Like talking to talking ghosts. about a monster or whatever. Yeah. Um, I was like, yeah, that is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Although I should point out, so Alan has was a real resource to you as you got off these drugs. Talk about yes. that and how he taught you to like basically be kind to yourself. Yeah, so so what had happened is, again, I guess on the outside it did look like I had it totally together while I was on all these drugs. But for me, it just felt more like I was just continuing to play, to act out the roles that I had established for myself and been given like it wasn't even conscious like I just yep. I just did it I didn't feel like I was putting on a mask every morning and taking it off every night it was just I was just going through the motions but then I was also going on a downward trajectory so I was con- continuing to get more depressed and also more suicidal despite the fact that I was on all these antidepressants yep. so you know the math wasn't working out in my head and I finally had this light bulb moment And I was also having a lot of memory problems at the time. So my short-term memory was getting bad enough to where my business partner and I were getting in fights because she'd tell me something and I'd forget. And we started to think maybe it has to do with all these, you know, psychiatric drugs. So when I got this opportunity to travel, I was like, I don't want to forget it. So that was one of the big reasons why I decided to get off of them. But then once I started to get into antidepressant withdrawal, what happens and what happens to a lot of people is that there are all these hugely negative side effects. So physical, psycho-emotional, mental, hormonal, it's, everything's going crazy. And at the same time, I was having these little moments of feeling like the lights turned on or colors got Mm -hmm. brighter Mm -hmm. or I'd feel creative or curious about something. And these were things I hadn't felt in 15 years, my entire 20s. I never felt that. And those little moments for me were so important because I started to realize like, wait a second, this is, there's, there's a part of me in here that I didn't know existed. And I want to know more about that person. And I'm curious about that. And so even though the vast majority of the experience was really awful and it was a struggle to keep going and to not just go back on the drugs, there was a big part of me that was just desperate to figure out, like, can I experience joy? Like, is this possible? And I just needed to know. And so it got to a point where I started to lose hope in being able to experience that joy for more than just a moment because it had been going on for months. And that's when we found Alan, who was a kind of an unconventional counselor. I mean, he kind of blended Eastern and Western modalities into his own little thing. And it's all self-compassion based. And for me, the reason why it was really effective is because I'd had so much memory loss I had difficulty in traditional talk therapy, you know, going back to the time when I was an eight-year-old and had experienced something, you know, I literally couldn't remember and I couldn't connect, especially all the trauma around my dad being gone so fast that the memories were just gone. But Alan's technique allowed me to kind of tap into a metaphor or subconscious or a past life or whatever, you know, God or universe, whatever you want to call it. It allowed me to work with things in a very abstract way, which for me was the only way I was actually able to start processing the trauma and the emotions and also like to get through the withdrawal itself and to, you know, start separating like, okay, what was 
me, what was, because I didn't have this chemical in my body anymore, and also, like, who was I and what did I want? So his process allowed me to do that, and it's very difficult to explain. I hope I do a <laughs> you did a good job, job in the yes, book because you did I, a good I, job. I almost don't want to try and explain what it's like. No, no, no. It just won't make sense. You'll have to read it. <laughs> no, it was great because you always alternated, like, the thought and what it yeah, meant and then what you said. There's a lot then, of parroting back yeah, and yeah. forth. And, but the, the takeaway from it, from my perspective, is that it took a long time for me to find a modality that worked for me mm-hmm. and it wasn't traditional. Yep. And, but once I found it, it clicked and I started to feel like almost like I started to feel the healing happen pretty fast. And so I'm really grateful that I had the ability and kind of, it was my mom who brought him to me. So yeah. I was able to just say like, okay, well, take whatever help anyone's offering me right now. And then your dad also had all those tapes that you found yeah. about. That was amazing. That was, yeah, that literally happened towards the end of my first draft and my mom just, like, standing there with oh, a Ziploc bag one day. Like, guess what I found? I'm like, I'm like, so I was so impressed you even had a tape player. Oh, I had to find it. I think I yeah. went through a few of them yeah. and it didn't work and I ended up with this, like, old Walkman and it was scratchy and then half of them had some radio show <laughs> taped over them, which was yeah. so frustrating. Like, so funny. <laughs> I know, like, how many... Like, we always did that with even our VHS tapes. Like, how yeah. many times did I record shows? Like, we couldn't just buy another VHS. How much were they? Do you know what I mean? Like, we must have recorded over it, like, a hundred times. Yeah, and then, you know, you'd have, like, some memory that you really wanted, and something yeah, would come and be gone. Jeopardy. I was like, oh, okay, well, I didn't need my sixth birthday party. Yeah. Here's, like, Little House on the Prairie again. <laughs> oh, well. Do you still, one of the side effects you had that was particularly acute was the sensory overload mm-hmm. stuff. Had you had any of that before you went on the meds, and do you continue to have it now? I know you referenced, like... Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to get out of, like, the busy city and just, like, move to the desert if you don't want to deal with the cars type of thing. Yeah. But I, I've always been very sensitive, but I don't remember having these extreme reactions to mm-hmm. uh, pretty much all sensory. Like, when I first started to get off the drugs, literally every one of my five senses, it was like the intensity was turned up. So I struggled with lights being too bright, mm-hmm. audio input. Should I turn it down? No, you I'm okay, okay now. Okay. Yeah, audio input was and still is kind of the only thing that kind of lingers. I have a lot of trouble hearing different sounds mm-hmm. at once and also just, like, actual noise. So I got custom earplugs made, which I, in the first couple of years, while I was still kind of readjusting into an unmedicated life, like, I'd have to wear them in the airport because even just the kind of din of noise around me was too much coming in. That's really been the longest one to come back, but I don't have the emotional triggers anymore mm-hmm. with that, which is great. Like, leaf blowers are the bane of my existence. I cannot stand them because they just set something off in me that is very emotional as well as, like, just, like, drilling into my ear. But I'm very happy to say that, like, I can I can go past some landscape now and uh, not burst into tears. So that's, that's growth, you know? That's healing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was so funny because on your episode of Chopped, you you were so sure you you were like I feel like I did a great job it's good and they were like we really like your confidence and I was like confidence and I'm like reading your book I'm like this is so ironic like this is not at all the way you present here Mm -hmm. and yet there so do you feel like even like despite all the turmoil and whatever's going on and like how you had to get through weaning all of the stuff and physical manifestations and all of it that like you can still feel really great about certain areas of your life, regardless of how you feel about the other parts. Do you know what I mean? Like, can you compartmentalize like that? Is that easy for you? You mean, like, when I think back on my experience with Chopped? No, no, just anything. Like, can you be like, 
I feel, you know, like I want to take this chair and break it into a thousand pieces and scream in the street and do all these things, but I'm an awesome baker. Okay. Do you um, know what I mean? Like, because sometimes it's hard to hold those two things, right? Like, yes. I, some people, it's more like, I'm depressed, I'm bad at everything. Mm-hmm. I'm bad, everything is terrible. There's nothing. Yeah. But it feels like no. Well, so when I was, you know, in the depression and also medicated, everything was flat in a way where nothing was ever good enough. And so it didn't even matter if I was, you know, better than average or something, like, because it still wasn't as good as somebody else or I knew that I was phoning it in half Mm -hmm. the time. So I just kind of like brushed it off and everything was just blah. When I was in withdrawal and serious withdrawal, when it was very, very emotional, I was completely consumed by the the, the, horm- the emotional swing yeah. of it all. I mean, I, the best way you can describe it is like a second puberty. If you just imagined, you know, what it was like when you were 13, but now you're 30 and you don't, and it's worse. But what's happened now as an adult, and I think that this is really a place where I, t- I tell people who ask me, this is a place where when people ask me for advice, I kind of tell them that this is where I think the goal is, mm-hmm. is where you can be having an emotional breakdown or you can be really angry and at the same time you can still hold gratitude yeah it's when you can have the duality mm-hmm. that i think is the kind of you know the key that you've done something right in your recovery and your healing and to me it's very odd i almost feel like there's you know maybe my higher self or whatever you want to call it is almost like observing mm-hmm. the emotion mm-hmm. and it feels a little disorienting because you're very aware that you're having you know you're hitting a pillow and you're breaking a chair in half um <laughs> and you're like maybe that's not great it's but it's in a non-judgmental way and then I, I feel like I also allow myself to do that and I also trust that this is going to end mm-hmm. and I can kind of feel the emotion leaving me and at the same time I'm also very calm in the background like yeah you know this is <laughs> it's gonna pass like let it out, honey, let it out. <laughs> and it's very odd to have it both happening. But I've now experienced this, like, in grief. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had loss of having this incredibly emotional reaction to grief mm-hmm. and still holding gratitude for being able to experience grief in a cozy bed. Mm-hmm. I had dog run away. That was awful. And I remember just sobbing, but also being just so grateful to even be alive to experience it. It's, it's yeah. So that's where I'm at now. Got it. And I think that... That's what I tell people is kind of more of the goal. It's not to necessarily stop the emotion right. or to never have these swings, right. especially if you're an intense person or a sensitive person. It's just to, you know. Feel them. Feel them and be aware that you're feeling them, yep. which is different than being consumed by it. Yes, I like that. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I just wanted to read a couple passages quickly because they were so pretty. Let me read this. I didn't cry. This is how you didn't cry at first when your father passed away and you sort of held it until later. You said, I didn't cry when my mother and I both shrunk into five feet tall figures of hips and bones, subsisting on nothing but deviled eggs my grandmother delivered by the dozen. I wanted to run to my mother and run away from her. I wanted to press fast forward or rewind and send us forward or back. It didn't matter as long as we weren't there. When I saw my mother's red and swollen eyes, I knew I was powerless to help her. So we danced around each other, coexisting in a haze of involuntary life. Sometimes my mother slept all day and sometimes she didn't sleep at all. Sometimes we hugged each other in the hallway. Sometimes we didn't acknowledge each other. Mostly she was out of the house dealing with the logistics of sudden death. And then you talk about the collection agency, and then you say, I didn't cry until one fall afternoon. When I pulled a knife out of my flesh, it bored so deep into the fleshy space between my thumb and forefinger that when I lifted my hand from the apple I'd been studying, the knife held its place like a sixth appendage. Ouch. It didn't hurt. <laughs> you also, you talk more about your yeah, how you thought you had an eating disorder and how the doctor you told dismissed it, which I could not believe, mm-hmm. too. And that was amazing and terrible. And then, let's see. Oh, the remote. <laughs> the fact that you're at your computer and the way you procrastinate is, like, applying to totally unlikely things and the fact that you got chopped in remote year at the same time and then had to go do them. And Well, yeah. I mean, what better, what better way to pretend you don't live your life than to try and be somebody else's life? Now I feel like those were not the best passages. But anyway, I promised, like, they were really great. Wait, maybe I have another one from this part of the book. Let's see. You had so many great sentences. Well, I'll just read them later or something. How about this one? My heart beats faster, each breath shallower than the one before. I hope for relief when I walk into the gym, but the bubble tarp serving as the roof provides no protection from the beating sun or the cacophony of construction. Cacophony of construction. That's, like, really awesome. I like alliteration. I like alliteration, too. (laughs) It is only when my skin begins to tickle with sticky heat. Like, that's another good one. Okay, anyway, whatever. I like. I really like the way you write. Everything is very visual. Yeah, it, it's very visual and visceral. I, I, don't, I don't understand people who can, you know, like the Dickens of the world, yeah. who these long sentences, I'm just kind of like, that's not how my brain works. I yeah. just need to get to the point, but, like, make you feel it. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> do you still have the diving mask, and where is it? I do still have the diving mask. I It's in uh, my drawer right now. I have kind of like a diving drawer so it's got snorkel and my skins and everything and I've used it multiple times and every time I use it I take a picture and send it to Martin I I really hope he's in uh, Indonesia now and I really want to go down there with a book and give it to him because he doesn't know how much of an influence he was on my healing in that part of my life Are you at all worried about Big Pharma in general with this book coming out? (laughs) 
Am I worried about big pharma? I think not really. You know, this is just one experience and I don't really own anything. So there's yeah. nothing to <laughs> take. <laughs> I'm a writer. We're not known for our riches. <laughs> and now, and you live in Reno now, right? I live in Reno. Yep. I and went back home kind of mid pandemic and getting family time in after all my years in Amazing. New York. And what are you up to aside from writing and now having to market this book and everything? So, yeah, we're doing book marketing, and that is, you know, weird. It all kind yeah. of, especially nowadays, like, it's not like people are being sent on book tours really anymore. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it feels like nothing has changed. I still spend a lot of time on Zoom, but it's just for a different topic. Mm-hmm. But um, I also still very much work in the food industry, and okay. I really enjoy having both. <laughs> I do research and development for startups, and then I also work with elite athletes, like Major League Baseball athletes, to help feed them and make sure they're eating what they need for to perform really well. And so I'm basically like a personal HelloFresh. Nice. <laughs> and it's really nice, and I really love it, and I love the balance because I cooking is still... Luckily, again, it's something that brings me... A sense of peace and so to be able to do that well and then also you know talk about this heavy topic like it's really nice balance to you know talk about antidepressant withdrawal and then go make cookies it's great <laughs> <laughs> i think that the the main issue with antidepressants and coming off of them after a long time is is like what you point out in the book how do you know who you are underneath all mm-hmm. that if you actually need to be medicated or if it's withdrawal symptoms and maybe you're the person who needs to go right back on, but maybe you're not. And how do you know? And what if you wait a year and something terrible happens? Or what if it gets worse? Or what if, I don't know. So the tricky part about this is that even though we're starting to see a lot more research now and about withdrawal specifically and also about the long-term effects of these drugs, because most of these drugs, they, they, there's no long-term studies. Most of the, the studies to improve these drugs and all drugs through, you know, six, eight, ten weeks maybe. So we're only now starting to get to a point where people have been medicated for decades, and we're only now starting to be able to see the effects of that in not, you know, not a small amount of people. I mean, you know, there are certainly people who thrive on these drugs, and that's what we hear about Mm -hmm. because it's a nice bow. Mm -hmm. And people who do well on things tend to talk about them. Mm -hmm. People who don't have any... you know, positive or negative response tend not to say anything. People who are having a negative response are debilitated. They're not, they're they're just debilitated. And there are a lot of people like that. The rough numbers are around 50% of people experience withdrawal symptoms. And about half of those experience severe symptoms. It's a huge amount of people given how many tens of millions of people are on these drugs. And so for me, it's like, look, I'm not here, I'm not a doctor, I'm not here to tell people what to do with their health or, you know, get on them, stay off them, you know, whatever, it's everybody's individual business. But I think is a real problem and a real shame is the fact that when we recommend these drugs, when we put people on them, there's never a plan to take them off. Mm-hmm. There's never any sort of discussion about what the ideal timeline is for mm-hmm. these things, which they've only been studied for like six months to two years, so... Why are we putting kids on them and then 15 years later we haven't taken them off? Like, that's not how these drugs were designed and it's not how they were studied and there are consequences to that. So I hope that my story in this book just further expands the conversation. I hope it helps people have more informed conversations with their doctors. Mm -hmm. I hope it helps legitimize the experience that so many people have. And I I hope it really helps stop 
overprescription and also overdiagnosis because mm-hmm. as I said at the end of my book, like had I gone to the wrong doctor at any point during this year, I could have been diagnosed with mm-hmm. bipolar, schizophrenia, or shoot, what was the other one? I can't quite remember. But basically there's there was three major diagnoses that could have led to even stronger drugs or institutionalized for an illness that I never really had. Mm-hmm. And so not only is that, you know, that happens to people all the time that they end up getting diagnosed with something that they don't have. Um, let's just listen to the cost of living uh, <laughs> podcast. So I was thinking on that one. Um, but you know, that that ends up being a strain on, you know, our entire social security system. It ends up being a strain on family members and, and also people who really need help and really have serious mental illnesses that aren't iatrogenic, they're not caused by some of these drugs. They're not necessarily getting the help either because the system is overwhelmed. And so all in all, like this is avoidable. The bottom line is this is avoidable. And we're starting to learn how best to deprescribe, but we don't necessarily have the tools. Like, you know, 37.5 milligrams of Effexor is the smallest amount you can get from a pharmacy. Well, when you go from that to zero, it's a huge amount of stress on the body. Mm-hmm. You can't go to a pharmacy right now and get smaller dosages. Right. You have to literally get a drug scale in your home, open them up, and count the beads. And that's what people are doing to get off of these drugs safely. And so even just the knowledge of that, whether or not that's from your cl- clinician or you as a patient, like, that can that helps a lot of people avoid unnecessary suffering and also just helps them become more in tune with who they are because not everybody wants to spend their whole life on these drugs and we should be able to take people off them in a safe way that doesn't destroy their lives. What are you most worried about with this book coming out? (laughs) I, I feel lucky in a way, like this book took six years to gestate and get born. I, I hope at this point I've kind of already experienced the gamut you know, I've gotten the nasty comments. I've been told I'm dangerous. I've just doesn't make any sense. I've been rejected just because somebody has a good experience. Like, so I think I'm not so much worried about public perception anymore because also the great majority of the information and contact I get from people is people who have similar stories. Mm -hmm. And so I know that, I know that the work matters and that's helped me through. I I think that there's a real, uh, there's, we're just not, I don't know if we're fully ready to accept that the personal responsibility and healing from from some of these, you know, illnesses, disorders, or just whatever you want to call them. I, I don't even like calling them that. I think I think we're, we're in a hard time where there's a lot of things that are wrong in the world. There's a lot of things that are having a deep effect on people's mental health, and we don't have the tools to mm-hmm. fix them. Mm-hmm. And if we don't rely on these drugs. What do we do? Mm-hmm. And I think that there, we, I don't have an answer for that. And I don't, I hope that people understand that it's not about, you know, wanting to people to suffer or telling people they're bad for taking them. It's not about that. It's just learning to follow your own compass, find what works for you, take control of your life and to cultivate deep, deep self-awareness in order and you know discover the balls you have in order to make changes where changes need to be made because i think that that's what a lot of people need to do in order to improve their circumstances and that's really hard when you have to cut out family or 
you know, you're in financial, deep financial situations. I, I don't know. I don't have the answers, and that's the problem. It's I okay. Think I'm I, not. It's okay. Yeah. I just. It's okay. It's no, okay. I, 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 but I think I, I'm okay to talk about it. But I think that's part of. Uh, maybe that's the biggest worry is that people think I'm like trying to say one thing about this, and I'm not. It's the whole point is that this is messy and complicated, and it's but, your experience. Yeah, but the it's, conversation needs to be broader. Yeah. And your story is amazing, and the way you write so openly and honestly and beautifully. It's great. Thank you. And if anything, it's it's like a good read. You know, you'll, like, oh. entertain people for a couple hours. So I'm, there you I'm go. really glad to hear that because that I, – I was worried about that because, you know, there's, there's such a tendency in, you know, so-called misery memoirs to just, like – you know, word vomit all over the page about how terrible your life is, and that's not always fun for people to read. So I really tried to not do that, but I, I don't know how it comes off to other people. Like, <laughs> so. All right, last question. What advice would you have for to aspiring authors? Get help. <laughs> and by that I mean I that my book would not have happened. There were three major editors that helped me along the way, and I, you know... Oh, and you worked with Laura Munson, right? I did, yeah. Oh, my gosh. she's you know Laura? Yeah, I know her. I've gotten to know her through the podcast, and we did an event together, and we email a lot, and I don't know. I love Laura. And I read her book, and, you know, two books, and anyway, yeah, yeah. she's amazing. Laura, Laura was my, like, lighthouse in the fog, like, and I just kind of found her writing retreat online, and I raised some money through grants funded by my state, and was able to go. And so that that's the advice, is I think that there's a lot of people... Um, I recently did a calculation on how much this book cost <laughs> for me to write. It was a lot of money, but what I of realized... <laughs> yeah. But what I realized was that the reason why it happened is because I asked for help, uh-huh. and I knew I needed it, and I took it. And I think that's the biggest thing, is that we... Most, I think, authors, unless you're really experienced, just cannot see the forest for the trees. You don't really know what the story is. You need somebody else to do it. And, like, it helps to pay a professional whose job it is to do that as opposed to a friend who wants to tell you what you want to hear or something. And so I'd say just get help, whether or not that's taking a class or finding, you know, a good writing group or finding a way to hire an editor early on. It hurts. It hurts to be told your work needs help. (laughs) But... That's what makes good books. Amazing. Well, Brooke, thank you so much. Thanks for coming thank on Monster you. Time to Read Books and for sharing your story. Thank you so much, Sibby. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.